Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. It's Tuesday, January 19th, 2021. How do you respond when people lie about you? Do you get kind of upset? I mean, that's understandable, right? Now let's up the stakes a little bit. Let's say you're on trial. Let's say even you're on trial for your life, but the prosecution keeps producing witnesses that are just outright lying about you. And this isn't some minor issue. Your life is at stake. How do you think you would respond in that moment? Do you think you'd be upset? You think you'd be fuming? Do you think you'd be trying to denounce these lies and rising up from your chair and shouting, that's not true, that's a lie? Is that how you would respond? Well, today we want to look at how one character in the Bible actually responds in the midst of that specific kind of situation. And we're going to see that in Acts chapter 6, verses 8 through 15. And we're going to learn about the man Stephen. Now, in the beginning of this chapter, he is one of the men chosen kind of as a deacon to serve the church in a specific way of making sure that the needs of some widows were met. But we see that God uses his faithfulness and service in this area to kind of increase his influence. And he is beginning to teach and he is beginning to do miracles. He is beginning to make quite an impact for Christ. And this does not go over well with the religious authorities. In verse 10, it says, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking, that he was preaching in such a powerful way that they couldn't stop him. They couldn't overcome the teaching that he was saying. So they resort to lies and they say falsely and they get people to say falsely that he had been saying blasphemous words against Moses, against God, that Jesus was going to destroy the temple and change all the customs, all these things. They are lying about him. And it's a very situ- very serious situation because he has now been basically arrested and is brought before the council. And spoiler alert, we know how the story ends. Stephen will end up getting stoned to death. But in the midst of it, the last verse of the chapter says this. It says that as they were staring at Stephen, it says all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And it kind of brings to mind even Moses's face when it would shine after he would talk to the Lord or even the 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 face of Jesus at the transfiguration. Or uh, some, even one writer put it, that it's pure, calm, unruffled composure, reflecting the presence of God. That in the midst of all these lies, Stephen, he's not upset. He's not fuming. He is not, you know, just coming down and shouting that these are lies. He is sitting there with a face of composure, a face of peace, a face of, of steadiness, a face that reflects as we already said, the presence of God. It's kind of an amazing example. And I think it's a challenge to all of us because I don't don't think any of us really would say, if I was in that situation, that's how I would respond. And then we'll see the compelling words. Uh, He then goes on to say is we'll spend several days looking at chapter seven, really a sermon almost that he gives there when he is on trial for his life. 
But how can somebody remain calm in the face of lies? How can someone be composed like Stephen uh, when the world is, in his case, really out to get him or out to get us? And I think we'll find some important lessons in that as we look at some of the other passages we're looking at this morning. Uh, First, let's go to Psalm 12. Psalm 12, and this is a Psalm of David, and he was a man that knew what it was like to be smeared with lies. I mean, he spent much of his life on the run from King Saul, who very wrongly was trying to kill David. David, who had been nothing but loyal to him, uh, but Saul viewed him as a threat and wanted to kill him unrightly, unjustly. And that was only one sample of the, the problems and the challenges that David faced in life. And you see just his, his grief as he starts this psalm in verse 1, Save, O Lord, for the godly one is gone, for the faithful have vanished from among the children of man. Everyone utters lies to his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart, they speak. So you see, he is sad that it seems like the faithful and the godly ones are nowhere to be found, and all that he can find are lies and people speaking wrongly. And that frustrates him. And I think the Psalms have lately been giving us an amazing example of when we're frustrated or we're mistreated or when we're concerned about the world, where can we go? And time and time again, we go to God and look to him in the midst of all of that. And that's What David ultimately does here, he looks to God and he cries out to God to deal with the problem. And he reminds himself of what God is like and what his words are like. In verse six, he says, the words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. You, O Lord, will keep them. You will guard us from this generation forever. On every side, the wicked prowl as vileness is exalted among the children of man. And so we see there, David takes comfort that in the midst of lies, he knows that the words of God, they're not lies. They are pure and they are right. And ultimately, they will be vindicated. God's word will endure no matter what. And in the end, its words will be proven right and accurate. And when we look at the world and we see lies, whether they're directed at us like they were at Stephen, or we just see lies out there in the world that are being gobbled up by the world. It can be a very frustrating thing, but it's helpful to come back and we can find calm and steadiness in the midst of all of that by remembering that this book that we talk about every day on this podcast, the word of God, it is pure, it is undefiled, it will remain. And God will keep his word. And not only will he keep his word, he will guard us as it says there, he will protect us and he will um, be our safety in, in the midst of a crooked generation. And ultimately, we know that promise even extends in the face of death, as we know that's what Stephen is going to experience. But we'll see even in those moments, he knew God was with him. And ultimately, he knew that death could not take away what God had given him through Jesus Christ. So as we deal with lies towards us or we look at chaos and lies in the world, may we fix our attention on the pure and true words of God and really find calm in the fact that these words will endure and they will not be forgotten and God will preserve them and prove them right.
Uh, Another way we can find that calm is now turning to Matthew chapter 7, where we look at verses 1 through 11. And it begins with this charge not to judge others. And that's a good reminder for us, even as we look at all the chaos going on in the world, it's really easier to find fault in others than it ever is in ourselves. And we need to be clear, some people want to use a verse like verse 1, judge not that you be not judged, as kind of a blanket um, a blanket command that should just cover and outlaw any kind of discerning statements or, or critical thinking. And that is clearly not what's going on here. It's clearly warning us against making wrong judgments. And probably the biggest one is hypocritical judgments, where we are judging others by a standard that we are not even keeping. And there's the the famous illustration of, hey, why are you looking at the speck in your brother's eye when you're ignoring the plank or the log in your own eye? And may that be a warning that we heed even in our day and age, that when it's so easy to look out at the world and see all kinds of problems, let's not forget God is calling us to first and foremost deal with our own sin and deal with our own problems. But another way that we know we can remain calm and steady in the midst of lies or untruth is really the lesson on prayer here. We see these repeated commands, ask, seek, knock, and the promises, it's going to be given to you. The door is going to be opened to you. And the one who asks is going to receive and whoever seeks is going to find. Like these are the things that are said here. And then it uses this illustration of a father that, you know, if a son asks him for bread, he's not going to give him a rock. And if a son asks for a fish, he's not going to give him a snake. Fathers want to give good gifts to their children. And in the same way, our father wants to give good things to us. So we should be bold in asking God for those things. I think we should take some sense of warning from this, that even as we think about parents, my kids ask me for a lot of things that I do say no to because they're asking me for the wrong things. They're asking me not actually for things that aren't really good, things that won't help them. So may we be comforted that when we do experience God saying no to us, often it's because we're asking for the wrong things. Or as as James says, we're asking wrongly to, to spend it on our own pleasures, our own passions. But may we be faithful to look to God and may we be confident and optimistic as we, as we pray that he will hear us. He will respond. He loves to give his children good things. So even as, we, again, even if we face persecution, we can know our father, he hasn't left us. He never will. He never will leave us. He never will forsake us. And we can always look to him and we should be persistent and passionate and bold in our prayers, knowing we're not talking to a stingy old man. We're talking to our loving heavenly father who loves to give us good gifts. And so we can have a lot of calm in the midst of chaos, in the midst of lies, in the midst of untruth, when we know God's word will endure forever. And God is our father who loves to listen to his children, to answer their prayers and to give us good things. Finally, today, we look at Genesis 38 and 39. And here we're going to see two very different stories. And we're actually going to look at the second one first, Genesis 39, which is the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife. And it's a great, just even practical illustration of the dangers of lust and the dangers of temptation. Because we see Potiphar's wife repeatedly tempting Joseph and seeking to entice 
him to be unfaithful and to get into an adulterous relationship with her. And finally, we see Joseph, he literally runs away. In the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we are commanded to flee from sexual immorality. And before that passage was ever written, we see Joseph literally living that out, that he is running away from sexual temptation. And may that be a very valuable lesson for all of us today. As we think through temptations we might face, may we be faithful to flee temptation, whether that is a very physical fleeing, that we are in a situation that we need to get up and leave. We need to go somewhere else to avoid temptation, or whether that's on a mental level where we need to flee from from thoughts that are seeking to entice us, and we need to intentionally put our minds on something else, to put our minds on on scripture or, or something that will move us away from even beginning to entertain any temptation in our mind. We need to flee, run from any kind of temptation to be immoral or to be impure. And really, we kind of see an opposite of that in chapter 38. Well, here, it starts with a very interesting story of Judah and his sons. And we see how uh, the, the first son was married to this woman named Tamar and did not have a son, and but then died. And that was a very devastating thing in the ancient world where uh, they didn't have lots of the economic things in place to protect different people in the economy. So a widow without any sons was in a very economically devastating situation. So the custom was that the brother of her former husband would then take her in as a wife to help provide an heir for her who then could uh, provide for this widowed woman. And we see here Judah's sons, they resist this. And even Judah himself, it comes time for him to give his third son to Tamar in marriage, but he does not do it. And so Tamar comes up to, with this scheme and she successfully entices Judah into an immoral relationship that does then produce a son. And one thing that I want us to learn from this kind of twisted story is Judah, he, he thinks that nah, this isn't going to be found out. But, but Judah's indiscretion, his immorality is brought to light through Tamar. Uh, and even we see his hypocrisy. We see him judging in a very hypocritical way when he says Tamar deserves to die for her immorality. When then she exposes, oh, actually, Judah, this was you. And it's a very embarrassing situation for Judah. And so I think when we put these two chapters together, I think one lesson we see as believers is when it comes to temptation in an impure way, we have a kind of a choice in front of us, run or hide, that we either need to run from the temptation or we will have something that we will be able, we are going to have to hide. And guess what? That's normally not going to work out. Often when we try to hide any kind of sin in this way, it has a fine, it has a way of finding its way into the light. And our sin has a way of being exposed. So instead of giving in to any kind of temptation like that, may we be faithful to run from it today. And it's also interesting to know that Tamar is one of the few women who is actually mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. That even though this twisted story uh, is disturbing on many levels, God used it ultimately to preserve the line of the Messiah. 
And may that be an encouragement in some sense. May we see stories like this and never feel like uh, that's an excuse for us to give in to temptation. But as we look maybe at ways that we have failed in our lives in the past, may it be encouraging that God can work even through flawed people and through our past failures to work something good for his purpose. And so whatever we're facing today, whatever chaos or lies you're facing in the world, let's focus on God, his word that will last forever. Let's lift up our requests and our concerns to him in prayer, and let's be faithful to follow him and to flee from any temptation in our lives today. Thanks for digging into God's word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.